Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 80 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me Anne Russler. She has a private practice as a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist. And she's also an author. She has written a study on the book of Nehemiah called Rising from the Runes and Restoring the Broken Places. Just the title of that sounds incredible. And she's currently working on a book called Chosen, which is a journey of healing from trauma through the lens of the stories of five women in the lineage of Christ. So first of all, welcome, Anne. Thank you for being on the, on the show. <laughs> Thank you for Thank being on the podcast. It's exciting to be here. I feel honored to be oh. asked. Oh, well, and Anne, so Anne and I got to meet each other at, in last January, 2020, before the whole COVID thing happened. I right. was thinking in terms of pre-COVID and right. you know, post-COVID. It feels, it feels like longer ago than a few months. It really does. And we met at Bob Hamp's conference called Reclaim, and which was a wonderful time. And I think he's doing it again this coming January, but she works well, you don't work down there in Texas. You're from Arkansas. No, I'm in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. Okay. I've just done a lot of a lot of training with Bob and he's a good friend of mine. Okay. So that's how we connected. And I'm super excited to have her. I really want to hear more about the P, the work that you're doing right now, the book called Chosen. And why, you know, what is it about and why did you decide to write this book? You know, it's been interesting. Boy. You know, writing is such a journey, and this actually, God started birthing the idea for this study um, even before I was in private practice, and I began to notice, um, I mean, as I studied kind of the five women, noticed like, okay, in this line of patriarchs, these women are named. I wonder what is so important about their stories. Um, that they're pointed out. And I just began to notice the trauma stories that each of their lives told um, and what they really walked through um, to heal. And I began to see how much their stories really reflected so many things that women in in our age walk through. I mean, their stories represent things like abuse, um, represents being a single mom. It deals with issues of rejection, physical, emotional, sexual, psychological abuse. I can see those themes woven through their stories, abandonment, um, shame, um, just deep beliefs of being worthless or unworthy, not enough, depression, despair. Um, feeling unseen, forgotten, feeling like um, you're they're unheard, not having a voice. I just began to see a theme of just women just longing for freedom, even struggling with issues of infertility or deep, just deep loss and trauma. Um, gosh, pains of adultery, 
rape. I mean, their, their stories represent so much of the trauma that I hear in my office on a daily basis. And so I began to just sense the Lord kind of weaving their story through our stories or weaving our stories through their stories um, to begin to see places of healing, breaking generational um, patterns and change freedom and redemption and and just really how God redeemed their stories and brought healing and each of their stories actually is is I I always when I'm teaching the study I actually draw a genogram which I don't know if you know what that is but it's kind of a um it's kind of a family tree where you can trace generational patterns mm-hmm. and so you begin to see you begin to see the patterns that repeat and play out. And when I've kind of worked through this with a group of women, when I was conceptualizing and writing it, it was really interesting to see the changes that happened in each of those women's in their generation, kind of the patterns that broke. And you could see that as you kind of step back and look um, kind of through a wide angle lens at their stories. Um, so it really is powerful to me to see how Jesus heals and how he sees trauma and how those women, just like us, he sees and he knows and he loves and he chooses and he calls out in powerful ways um, to really redeem. And so I just, I don't know, I feel like there's so many, there's so many Bible studies that, you know, appeal to our intellect, which is good. Um, but we need, we need to see often how scripture touches the deep places of experience in our hearts. Mm-hmm. I love so, that. Yeah. So that's, so that's really the framework of the story. Well, and I think too, when I think of the women that I've talked to, they have been so brainwashed with this and, and have almost have a belief that the Bible is, the Bible has been weaponized against them yeah. as women. And some of them are scared of the Bible now. I mean, these yeah. are women who loved the Bible with Absolutely. all their heart. And I think that it, we need more books like this to help women find the Bible to be a safe place, that God is a, God's arms are safe arms for women. Yes. Yes. There, there is so much, I think in this work. Um, I mean, I'm in a, um, I'm in a counseling center that is associated with a church, but we're all private practice. Um, And so I get to do a lot of faith integration work, which is really important to me because I think so much of this kind of abuse, the psychological and emotional abuse, um, I mean, not to mention physical and sexual, which is so prevalent, um, woven in it are deep threads of spiritual abuse and so, I mean, just to your point, so often I feel like sometimes the beginning of the work is healing an attachment wound with God um, so that there's a safe anchor for the healing process. Um, because that attachment, first and foremost, has been just 
you know, destroyed in so many ways that God doesn't feel safe, that God is kind of a picture of an abuser in in many many situations. Yeah. Okay. So it's so funny because you touched on two of the things that I wanted to talk with you about. You've already touched (laughs) on them, but let's go into them deeper. I was just wondering if there were some more. So my audience is mostly um, women of faith who have experienced a lot of emotional and like you said, spiritual abuse. I feel like if you are a woman of faith and you're experiencing emotional abuse, the spiritual abuse is just like woven right into there, like part of it. Absolutely. It is part of it. Yeah. So what are some of the more, are there obvious patterns that you are seeing in your practice that just keep kind of repeating themselves over and over again every time you get a new client where you can almost, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm just looking for patterns that you see. So I, and the reason why I'm asking this question is because a lot of women, especially let's say someone's just first listening to this for the very first time, they really think they're the only one. I know I did. I thought it was the only one. And yeah. I just want people to know that this is a, this is a thing. It's yeah. like, it's prevalent in the church, I believe. Yes. And um, because of the underlying theology that's kind of taught. Yeah. And so I think emotional abuse is sort of like normalized almost. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what you're seeing in, in your office. Well, I think, I mean, yes, I a hundred percent, uh, just agree that it is so much, um, sometimes it's so hard to recognize. And and I think that's why even sometimes it's hard for people when they're coming in, um, to even recognize it as abuse because they feel like they're the crazy ones. Like, why am I just not getting this? Right. Um, and why do I not experience the freedom, um, that, supposedly we're supposed to feel as a believer, right? I mean, I'm just trying harder to do more. Um, and I and I think I notice it more in where people have grown up in real um, legalistic traditions. Yeah. Um, where there's where it's very authoritarian, very performance driven. Um, And often, you know, even that setup is often attached to family of origin stories, which makes that feel normal. Yeah. Um, Where performance is what's valued. Performance is how you feel loved and accepted. And, um, you know, I think there's so many core lies that settle in attached to family of origin experiences Sometimes that kind of are the setup even for abusive, getting into abusive relationships or marriages and even spiritually abusive systems. Um, Not always for sure, but, um, but I think about, you know, the core lies that set up like real common ones, like I'm not enough. I don't matter. I'm not important. um, I'm unloved. I'm not valuable. I have to be perfect. You know, those are like real common, just deep, deep core lies that I, that I often, I think of them kind of like a contact lens over our heart. And those are not our core beliefs 
are things that as I listen to women's stories in, in therapy, I'm, I'm listening to those kind of themes to put in a context. Um, because I think those beliefs are, are like a contact lens over our heart and we see and perceive relationships um, through those experiences. I mean, through those beliefs. And we experience God through the exact same lens. I don't take out a certain pair of contacts and put in another pair with God. Right. And so I experience God through feeling not enough, through feeling unloved. And so even if I've grown up going, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I may know that in my head, but it's not congruent with what I believe in the deep places of my heart. But those beliefs are attached to deep experiences and events and often traumatic ones or family of origin experiences or marriage relationships that repeat over and over that just continue to confirm that lie. Yeah. um, In a way that the roots just go really deep. And we learn ways to defend and protect and comfort ourselves when we feel not enough. So sometimes it might be, I'm trying really hard to fix it, or I'm trying really hard to be perfect. I'm trying really hard to perform or do ministry or, you know, whatever it is. Um, And those, the roots of those lies are deeply attached to wounds that never get healed. And so, you know, I, I think... Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 in in Luke 4, which is has really kind of been the centerpiece for me in everything that I've done, which is, you know, he came to heal broken hearts and set captives free. And that's where it starts. And and we spend so much time um, trying to avoid the pain of the wound. Yeah. That the wound never gets healed. And he wants us to lean into the very place that we have avoided. So, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to ask you uh, in regard to that, what are some of the ways that you, that you help them to do that, to lean, like what, what advice would you give to someone who's listening maybe who doesn't have a counselor or has never heard of this stuff before? And, yeah. and can you, so I'm, I'm interested in that. And also maybe you can tie it in with something you just said earlier about how we believe things in our head, but we don't, it's not making the connection in our heart and causes all yeah. this confusion and pain. Yeah. There's some, is there a way to make that connection? How do you help women to make that connection with what's really true with what their core beliefs are that are truly not, you know, their lies basically? Yeah. Um, great question. And, um, I think it really, honestly, it, we've got to engage experience, um, and not just intellect. And so even in therapy, the experience of being seen, of being heard, um, of even having someone help give words to things that you've experience, but you've never had language for, um, I think engaging experience and moving, that is like, we've got to bypass kind of our intellectual selves that try to figure everything out in so many ways. 
mm-hmm. um, and really meet people experientially. I mean, I think to, and, and I continue, my clients teach me so much about this process and I feel like I'm still learning. Um, but, but part of what I'm learning is how, how so many of us are, um, when I ask people, where do you feel that in your body? Like when that happened or, or what's happening right now? What, where are you feeling that in your body? So many people have no idea even what's happening in their bodies. Why uh, is that? You know, I, I really, again, like I don't, I don't know for sure. <laughs> But one of the things that I suspect is that we've learned to shut down to protect for so long that there is kind of this state of numbness, like um, to survive, you've stopped trusting what your body's telling you. Yeah. And so you miss, because I mean, your body, our bodies are so smart. (laughs) right? They hold in store our memories and experiences. And so that's why sometimes um, you'll have a visceral reaction to something, but you won't necessarily have language for it. Yes. Yes. You know, but also why even ministries like yours are so important is sometimes just hearing someone else's story kind of like there's emotion that connects Right. That then helps to find language. So it really is, I think sometimes we, we try to start a process intellectually, but we're trying to navigate it from our left brain. Mm. And our left brain is what organizes and compartmentalizes and gives language to things. But where, he, where our wounds happen is really in our experiential, like our right brain. Um, And so it really is shifting to engage more of the experiential side. And so, I mean, that can happen in a lot of ways. Um, I think I love journaling. I think it helped. And and I'm a huge fan in unfiltered journaling. Um, You know, I always say, you know, I don't think God's offended by cuss words because sometimes crap is not a strong enough word for mm-hmm. something that something that we experience. And I mean, I'm not saying I mean, that's my personal that's my personal um, belief with God. And just so people may disagree with that. That's totally fine. I'm not trying to be offensive by that. But <laughs> but, but my but my but my feeling is, you know, God is in the business of cleaning out wounds. And so he's not scared of the infection, right? He's not scared of the pus that needs to come out. That's messy and, you know, doesn't present all nice and clean. Amen. Um, and, and so I think it's important for women to feel freedom to begin to explore and engage, um, their own stories, um, to have permission. It's amazing to me how many times my clients are like, I just need permission to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's attached to kind of the authoritarian um, kind of structure. Right. Set up in their souls. 
Yeah. Um, and so sometimes they need permission um, to engage their stories. So I think, and there's a lot of, I, I started EMDR training right before the, um, right before everything shut down. So I didn't get to finish it. Um, but EMDR is a specific kind of therapy that, that really is designed to engage um, trauma through, you know, a process that engages left brain and right brain um, that is designed to help access some of those things. Um, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm really trying to learn more of those strategies that help, um, that help kind of that process to create that shift to move into the experiential rather than the intellectual. Cause that's also where freedom happens with God. Yeah. Um, you know, we can know about something and never experience it. Yeah. And and I think that that is unfortunately a huge I mean, I kind of even want to say a majority of believers. Um and that might be that might be a stretch. You know, I see a skewed um a skewed population so that may be reflective in that statement, but well, and those those people are listening to this podcast, though. So we're all yeah, yeah. a skewed perspective. But I want to say I want to say this. Um, I grew up believing or being taught that emotions were bad, strong yeah. emotions were unhealthy and ind- indicative of a lot of weakness. And so I I actually had EMDR therapy. I'd had several years of counseling before that, that really didn't do anything. It was just me, Mm -hmm. you know, it it didn't do anything, but, and I didn't, I found out later that I had been seeing people who were not actually licensed. So (laughs) be be careful. Make sure. So anyway, but I did finally, I did finally find a real counselor, but she did <laughs> therapy and, and it was, I, I think I only had like six or seven sessions, mm-hmm. EMDR sessions. Yeah. And there was so much breakthrough in just that uh-huh. few, we just jumped into it. Cause I'd already had yeah. a lot of, of other kinds of therapy, but we right. just jumped right into it. And there was so much breakthrough. I actually just stopped because I really didn't feel like I had anything else to work through. Yeah. And I was, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, right. believe it. I had been shut off from all of my, everything in my body and, and everything, wow. all of my experiences, I had compartmentalized them over here. And then my intellectual understanding of it was over here. And I really did need to bring those two things together. And I needed to cry and I needed yes. to, you know, like re-experience those horrible things, which I kept telling myself, that wasn't that bad. That wasn't that bad. Why do I, you know, I don't need to minimize and dismiss. Exactly. Yeah. And I found, I realized, you know what, it really was that bad and it really did affect my whole life. And, and now I have to grieve it and feel it. Exactly. And now I can actually look back on it and go, that was really bad, but I no longer feel it or experience it anymore. You know what I mean? I'm not, it's not like tied to me dragging me down anymore. Yes. You know, I mean, I think that's so important too. I heard EMDR um, kind of described as 
um, kind of a digestive system for your emotions and trauma experiences. I love that. Like that it gets kind of blocked. (laughs) Like it doesn't move through as, as we're designed for them to. And so it creates kind of a blockage. And so just the process of, of EMDR kind of helps kind of just unblock it. And, you know, as you went through it, it doesn't even require a whole lot of talking about it. Right. Um, it is much more for you kind of engaging what's happening for you and making some of those um, just even connections, pulling those threads together. Yep. Um, that are often, you know, memories and experiences that are linked to each other. Hey there. If you're a woman of faith in a confusing and painful marriage, and you want more concentrated, personalized help to deal with what you're experiencing in your life, I want to offer you the Flying Free Sisterhood. The Sisterhood is a comprehensive education and support program designed to help women like you go from crawling to flying. Here's what one of our members has to share about her own healing journey with Flying Free. One of the ladies in my group says she's been doing Flying Free in the Sisterhood for about a year. She's faithfully worked through it, um, is in the midst of a very ugly and protracted uh, divorce um, with a narcissistic, abusive husband. And she said, um, all of what you said this morning about describing your background of religion and um, growing up in that um, isolated cocoon of religion, um, she has been through. And she said, it's like her eyes are being opened She can see the blue sky and the sunshine for the first time in her life. And she is learning so much from it. And it was beautiful how she encouraged another woman woman in the group to put in the time and make the investment in herself to do that and know that it's going to take time to reprogram, deprogram and then reprogram yourself when you come out of a background like that, but that it's so worthwhile because now she can see things. She has discernment and wisdom that she didn't have before because she was too afraid to see things from a different viewpoint. And it just was such a blessing to me. And I wanted to pass that along to you, Natalie, because I knew it would bless you um, to hear that. And it was just beautiful to see how they encouraged each other and, um, um, you know, left feelings. Wow. I've got tools now in my toolbox to unpack and, and put to use. You can find out more about flying free and get on the waiting list by going to joinflyingfree.com. Let's get back to our show. Well, and that was, that was the beautiful thing about it is that I, I only had to pick, you know, a few, a choice, few situations to work through that, and they were linked. They were linked to repetitive things that kept happening yeah. in my life over and over again. Yes. But once I processed through some of those original ones, then all of the other ones neutralized. It's like they didn't yeah. have the same power, poisonous power over me that they had had before. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So are, are you going to complete your training then now or? Yes. Whenever it, whenever it all opens back up, but they moved the second half of the training um, to zoom. And I just was like, no, I think I'll wait till we can do it in person because there's just so much. I mean, there's just so much, I think in therapy training that you really need the personal <laughs> experiences. Yeah. Cause we are, we were doing it on each other as therapists, you know, and so you just need that <laughs> I right. mean, for, me, for me. I need the experiential part of it yeah. so that, so that I really can, you know, grab a hold of it in a responsible way. <laughs> right. Well, we should have you back here in a year and then, and then find out more. Cause I know people are fascinated by EMDR and they don't really understand it. And so it'd be good yeah. to just have a whole session that just talks about that. I have one last question for you. Yeah. I'm just curious in your practice, if there's like an, an age group that you tend to see more often. Mm. Or is it pretty much across the board? You know what? It really is across the board. Okay. It really is across the board. And, you know, I have clients, honestly, that are in their 60s that, you know, are, have come out of, you know, 38-year, 40-year marriages. Um, you know, it, some of them... The husbands were in ministry. Um, you know, I mean, it is, and then I have early thirties, um, beginning to recognize just patterns of destruction, you know, something more that I am seeing. And I don't know, I don't know if this is something, you know, that you guys notice, but that I have just kind of found myself having to say in, in this kind of day and age where I feel like sex addiction has really, I don't know if it's increased or if we're just a lot more aware of it. Um, but with just the access to pornography and, you know, all of, all of the things like that. Um, I find myself saying to women, your body is not a drug for your husband's sex addiction. Um, And really, you know, that could go both ways. A spouse's body is not a drug for an addiction. I mean, the sexual relationship is designed for safety and mutuality and connection. And I feel like there's been so much um, teaching in our faith systems that really have taught men need sex and, and, and in some ways have totally dismissed a woman's sexuality. Right. Um, that like somehow we're not even sexual beings. Um, and so, and I think in some ways it's blocked even some women, even discovering their sexuality. Yes. Um, because the the sexual relationships have been so destructive and have felt so um, objectified. Yep. That it just feels like this is my job. That it there's not the context of just mutual mutual connection and intimacy and expression. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that it's designed for. So I, mean, I feel like that is, that's a, a big part, a big thread, I feel like that kind of pulls through, um, you know, all the ages. Um, and so. Interesting. Um, I was just hoping, I was kind of hope. I, I actually have seen a little in my group, the majority of the women I would say are between, you know, they're in their forties, fifties, and sixties. That's yeah. what the majority of them are, but we yeah. are starting to see younger women now. Yeah. And I, and it gives me so much hope because I didn't know, I maybe, I don't know if I would have gotten out sooner or not, but I didn't, I don't think those of us in our forties, fifties, and sixties had any help. You know, we didn't have any, yeah. there was nothing out there to help us. We didn't have an internet. We didn't have, there were no books written about this. And if there were, right. they weren't, certainly weren't in our church's bookshelves. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that younger women are starting to see it sooner in their destructive yeah. marriages so that they can get out sooner, you know, before some yeah. of them, even before they have children or when their children are smaller and, um, and get the education and the help that they need to actually live fully functional lives as a, yes. for the majority of their adult life instead of just for the end of their adult life. Although yeah. I just want to say this though, I, I had recently heard this, kind of, it, drew, it drew a picture for me that made, gave me so much hope and I want to share this for anyone who's listening who's older. You know, if you think about your life on a timeline of one to a hundred, and I know that a lot of people won't live to be a hundred, but maybe they will because, you know, we've got a lot of medical breakthroughs and stuff, but right. those of us who are like, I'm 53. So if you think about, and if you think about the fact that your first 18 years of your life are not really yours, I mean, they're your life, but you don't, you don't have autonomy really before you're out of the home. Right. And so your adult life really begins when you're about 18. That's when you start to become more aware and you start to exercise your autonomy so really you only have about, you know, if I'm 53 and it started when I was 18, I'm not sure what the math there is, but it's like 20 some years, isn't it? 20, 20, <laughs> yeah. I'm a counselor. Like 30 years, person. maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 30 years, about 30 years. But if I live to be a hundred, I've got, you know, maybe 50 more years. That means that I, so older women, I'm just trying to give you some hope here. Yeah. You could have actually more years ahead of you as yeah. an autonomous adult living yeah. your adult badass life. Yes. And you did, then you have, cause we can look back and go, Oh my gosh, think about all the years I wasted, you know, in these Those shame and accusation messages. Exactly. Like, how can I be so foolish? Exactly. Yeah. We can let go of those because that was our, that was our training ground to get mm -hmm. us all ready for everything that it lies ahead. Yes. And I just think that's, it's just a way of reframing it that is much yeah. more exciting and motivating than just yeah. to constantly be looking at the past and thinking, oh my gosh, my life is over. And I was there just thinking, yeah. you know, in my late forties, my life is over, yeah. you know, and I just threw it all away on this horrible marriage. And, um, I mean, I, I had wonderful things that I was grateful for about it, like my kids, for example, but right. still it's just such a, a downer, but I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to offer that for yeah. anyone. No, that's, that's so important too. And, and I think, I mean, I want to say one of the things, I mean, I'm so passionate about this work, A, because I feel like 
it's just so missed um, in the church and in a lot of counseling offices. Yeah, it's so missed, and um, I it just it breaks my heart for women who are screaming to be heard and continue to just feel like you know they're screaming and the, like they're screaming and nothing's coming out right no right. one is hearing right oh. and um so i love the work that you're doing natalie i love um just giving a a a platform and a place for women to connect with each other and to find that support and to find the shared experiences because honestly the rewarding part for me of this work is the incredible freedom um, when I see these women come in kind of in a shell um, and really just the process of them watching them become and discover who's God's designed and created them to be. Right. Um, is really like there's nothing like that's the gospel in action. There's there's nothing more beautiful than watching a captive be set free. Yes. And and watching their hearts heal. Yeah. And and a relationship with God be restored. Um that he's a loving and a good God who cares and he sees and he knows. Um and I think part of you mentioned, you know, something about emotion and um, just being taught that your emotions are bad. And I think that's part of the restoration process, too, is, you know, I think we've all been taught don't trust your emotions. Um, and so that's even part of like, don't trust the red flags, <laughs> right? right. Is dismiss those things and exactly. learn. Learning to trust what your body's telling you. Learn your emotions are indicator lights, like on the dashboard. Yeah, um, it's letting you know that there's something to pay attention to, and so and God gave us emotion, <laughs> and so I think that is part of the journey of healing is just reclaiming emotion in the way that God designed. Um, well, and he has emotions. He has he has emotions. emotions. Absolutely. <laughs> For and crying out loud. It's, yeah, it's, I know. It's kind of the theology that has been developed around not knowing what to do with emotions. So let's just say we don't have them. <laughs> right. Yep. Well, this has been really, really, really precious. I am so thankful that you came on here. Um, and for those of you who are listening, if you have benefited from this session, this session, this podcast episode, this counseling session, and, um, and by the way, I wish so bad I would have had, uh, an Anne Rustler for my (laughs) counselor. Gosh, I could have saved myself so much trouble. But anyway, um, if you benefited from this podcast episode, let here's a really good first of all let someone you know and care about know about it but also you can leave a rating and review on itunes and then itunes will pick up on that they'll they'll go oh people like this podcast and they'll actually show it to more people recommend it to more people and that's how more people can find it so it's just an easy way and you can be anonymous 
when you leave your review, you don't have to say what your name is, but it's an easy way to actually help promote this podcast to get it into the eardrums of more people. So thank you so much for joining me, Anne, and thank you for listening. Those of you who are listening, until next time, fly free.